So many ladies, as I'm talking to owners and managers, you want to buy these, this plastic flower for your wife? No. Do you want to buy this bouquet of flowers for your wife? No. Do you want to buy these chocolates for your wife? No. Well, do you love her? Yes, I love her. <laughs> but I don't want to spend $30 on a little plastic balloon that says, be mine. I did that 18 years ago. I do buy her Valentine's gift. Let me clarify that. I do buy her something. Amen. <laughs> so husbands, if you've not uh, bought your, your significant other something, I encourage you to do so. Um, we may have to have a healing service on Sunday. Amen. I remember my father-in-law one time was, was eager to buy his wife something special. And he was... Uh, contemplating what could I get her that I know she would just love and adore. He searched every department store. He searched all, all of the, the flower shops. He thought, no, I don't want to buy her flowers because they'll just die and it only lasts for a momentary. All the chocolates, they're not good for us. So what could I buy her that would fit her perfectly? And he thought, aha, I got the idea. So he came home Valentine's Day many, many years ago and had this great big box and my mother-in-law was super excited about it. Never has she gotten a box that big on Valentine's Day. Maybe Christmas or a birthday or something like that, but never on Valentine's Day. And he had it all wrapped up. This was something special, something he was proud of. And then all of a sudden he goes, babe, go ahead. You know how us men are when we do something great. We want, we want the proverbial pat on the back and say, that's a great job. So he says, go ahead, honey, with a big smile on his face, tear into that box. I got you. This is how much I love you. She rips it open and there sits a auric vacuum cleaner. Needless to say, it wasn't the best Valentine she'd ever got. He thought that she would love it. She want, They needed a new vacuum cleaner, but it wasn't exactly what she wanted to get. Amen. <laughs> and 18 years of knowing him and being married for 18 years, we still do not let him live that down. We ask him, I send him a text there, is there a vacuum cleaner in the works for today? He just sends me a smiling emoji. Amen. We're going to jump right into the word. Amen. Honored to stand here again in, in place of Pastor Arpole and among a great body of believers. Thank you for being here on a Wednesday night. My heart is stirred uh, when Pastor Harple asked me last week to, to speak on this, uh, to speak. Um, I thought, I thought, wow, man, this, this is going to be great. I, I, God gave me a thought instantly, and I said, I got two weeks to work on it, only to sit over there last Wednesday and realize it was a week from last Wednesday. So here we are, and we're going we're gonna to do this in Jesus' name. I, I, you gotta, my heart is stirred. Forgive me, I will not apologize, I guess I should say, for my emotions and my passion I have for the kingdom of God. But my heart is stirred with the sermons that pastor's been preaching. From Sunday night and Sunday morning about getting our house in order, about discipleship, about being a friend and making a friend and being a disciple and making a disciple. I've made it my mission. If I don't do anything else, I will find someone I will find one person, if not more, to invest my time, my energy, my finances, if that be the case, 
everything I got into one person because I believe that one person can make the difference of a whole church and of a whole city, of a whole nation. You ought to say amen. So uh, looking at your handout, we're looking to Luke. It's a very familiar portion of scripture. scripture. It is a parable that is known by many. And by the help of the Lord, I'm going to break this down. We're going to talk tonight on the value of one. Luke 15 and 3. And he spake this parable, speaking of Jesus unto them, referencing the Pharisees and the the Sadducees and the hypocrites, saying, What man of you have a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them? Doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. The lost sheep. One day, a shepherd counts his sheep. He expects to find The 100 that he had counted just the day or the night before in his flock. But in dismay, he is to discover that one of the flock is missing. Motivated by the danger of the sheep and the loss to himself, the shepherd takes immediate action to restore the sheep to its proper place in the fold. Now, in this vivid account of searching and saving and shouting, we can see a very clear picture of the love and the longing, the labor that the Lord Jesus Christ does for each and every soul that is born into this world. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is called the shepherd's compassion. The shepherd's compassion. The shepherd's compassion is simply this. It is for a lost sheep. The word lost is the same word that is translated perish found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the same word that is derived from John 3.16. It means to be lost, ruined, or destroyed. It is used to refer to being sent away into hell, to being cast aside. In other words, this this sheep that was misplaced from the fold, misplaced from the 100, was headed into a great danger, a place of ruin. It was headed for destruction and the shepherd knows this. The shepherd realizes that I have a hundred, but I have one missing. I must go find it. He's so concerned about the condition of the sheep that he's moved to do something to save this lost sheep. There must be something in the body of Christ that knows that if I know someone that is not where they need to be, they've lost, they've walked away from the fold, that there has to be something inside of us that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to go find that one sheep. Because they understand, just as the shepherd, you understand the value of the one. You understand that that one soul makes all the difference in the world. It's like the story of the the little boy. Many of you probably heard this. And forgive me, tonight may be a little redundant about the value of one. But it's penetrated into my spirit that if the church is going to grow, we are seeking a 100 soul revival. But one person may be able to reach 100, but it will take 100 people reaching one at a time. (laughs) 
The story of the little boy is walking in the in the in the the beach on the sand and he's tossing starfish back into the ocean and a man walks up to the little boy and he says son what are you doing he says I'm making I'm saving all these starfish I'm throwing them back into the sea and the man looked at the young boy and says well son don't you know there's hundreds of them You can't make a difference in all that. The little boy looks at the man in the eye, reaches down and picks up a starfish and says, I made a difference for that one. Picks up another one and says, I made a difference for that one. If we can just make a difference in one person's life, if we can show the love of God to one person, if we can give them a smile, give them a nod of friendliness and kindness, they will see Christ in us, the hope of our glory. I learned a long time ago. I made the mistake when I first got in the church you know you get the Holy Ghost and you're full of so much power and fire and you just want to go tell everybody about what you've what you've received and rightly so but I've learned that there has to be a little wisdom with that I remember going home to to my mom and making a way through that smoke-filled single wide trailer brown shag carpet brown linoleum floors And I walked in and I busted open the door at my 15 year old age and I said, Mom, you gotta repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name. You gotta have the Holy Ghost or else. She looked at me and she said, What is else? And what is Holy Ghost? And I began to tell her everything about the Holy Ghost. And I I tried to explain it the best I could. I said, Mom, it's powerful. I remember, Mom, I was on the fourth row. I got up. Nobody told me to. Nobody said, here's what you got to do. I walked down to the altar. I lifted my hands. Somebody said, let go. And somebody said, hold on. (laughs) One said, go. One said, you're right there. Stop. And I said, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And in a matter of two minutes, I began to speak in this funny language. And mom, it felt good. She said, I don't know if I want any of that. I learned a long time ago that if I can just show someone some love and kindness just to one person. Just show someone that they count, that they matter. Because we live in a society where we're nothing but faces on a screen or names on a social media status. God's looking for somebody to care about the one that has walked away. The one that has said, you know what? I don't know if I can do this on my own. He's looking for that one person to see the value in the one that is astray and say, I will go get them. The shepherd is moved to save this lost sheep. The sheep is now lost because it wandered away. It is lost by its own fault. The sheep knew that it was lost but didn't have the ability to find its way back to the rest of the fold of the shepherd. So the shepherd moved to do something about its lost condition. The Bible says he sought for the lost sheep. That means he purposely, intently walked out of where he was to the place where the sheep could have been to say, I've come for you. I believe that we've got to get back to knocking on the doors of the ones that used to come and attend here. The ones that used to to be a part of New Life Fellowship. The ones that used to have a relationship with God and say, I've come looking for you because God has got so much more for you than what you are walking away from. It's time to come back to the fold. For loved sheep, be 
for a loved sheep. The sheep, he has compassion for a loved sheep because he may have wandered away from the shepherd, but it was still a sheep to him. It was his sheep. Does my heart heavy to know that no matter what comes or what goes in my life, whether I'm on the mountaintop or I'm in the valley, whether I'm doing good or I make a mistake, that the shepherd's love for me does not change. We have to understand that, that God does not see people like we see people. I pray very often. I say, Lord, let me see people as you see people. Let me have have an eye that you have that I can see their hurt. I can see the, the, the struggle that they're going through that I don't say, well, they deserve that because that's my flesh. My flat flesh wants to say, well, they deserve to go through that. That Well, that serves them right. Well, no, it doesn't because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was value in that one sheep and the shepherd wanted it back into his flock. He cared about that one little lost sheep. He cared about it so much that he left 99. He left 99. And I know that tonight this is a very simplistic Bible study. Very simplistic thought into the word. But the Lord is just impressed in my spirit that we've got to go after the one. We want to go and we want to knock doors and we want to invite. We want to fill up vans and buses and that's great. But God help me just to reach one first. The shepherd's compassion is for a lone sheep. Just one sheep was missing. Just one. I mean, when you think about it, one doesn't seem very significant, doesn't seem very... Importance, just one. I got 99. It's like losing a dollar. I still have 99 more dollars. Doesn't seem like there's value, but from the shepherd's perspective, it was the one sheep that was his and he wanted to have it back in his rightful, rightful place. Another shepherd might have counted the personal cost and thought, you know, he could be over the backside of that desert. It's rocky. I could go. I could break my leg. I, I, it could hurt me physically. It could hurt me financially. It could hurt me emotionally and spiritually. You know, I'm just going to let that go. That sheep ran off. It, it may find its way back. Another shepherd may have decided to do that. But the true shepherd says he doesn't look at the cost and say it's not worth it. A true shepherd, a, a body of believer a believer that says and understands the value of just one says the cost does not matter i've got to go get the one jesus christ came into this world because he deemed every lost soul precious the second point i want to make tonight is the shepherd's commitment it was a sacrificial commitment He knew the danger of going to find this lost sheep. He knew that the death was a possibility. However, he chose to leave the 99 and search for the one that was astray. He left the comfort of the, of the, of the 99. He left the green pastures and, and the surrounding of the other sheep to search out the one that was lost. I don't know about you, but I gotta get beyond the four walls of New Life Fellowship. I gotta get beyond you and I and our friendship and our relationship because there are hurting people in the city of Terre Haute in the counties of Vigo and Park and Clay and they're looking for someone that's willing to get out from among the other sheep and say would you search for me I 
I'm trying not to get excited. I'm trying to just teach, but this is burned in my spirit because if I do, if I never preach another sermon again, I want to win one. I want to be a disciple to one. If I never take up another offering or do another announcement, I want to see the value of one. God, would you help me find the one that is astray? We have to get to a place where we are willing to leave the comfort of the rest of the sheep and go find the lost one. At because of the times this year, a missionary spoke about apostolic context in a way that I've never heard it. And it, as many that went said, it wrecked me. It tore me to pieces. He talked about sheep among sheep is not apostolic, but sheep among wolves is apostolic. Because sheep among sheep, we're safe here. It's okay to lift our hands because we're not afraid because our neighbor's lifting their hands. It's okay to talk about Jesus in here because we're sheep among sheep. But when we get out among the wolves, it's a different story. I never forget... I was in a little town called Ferdinand, Indiana. And the manager of the Dollar General that I was in, this lady was distressed. Her husband had stage four bone cancer. Her daughter was living in a very wild and promiscuous lifestyle. And she was at her wit's end. And she knew that I went to church and that I was a pastor and She just talked. I never pushed anything on her. I just talked about God's goodness. And one day she came to me and no one was in the store at the time. And we're standing there talking and she's weeping uncontrollably. And I tell her, I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I started to do what every apostolic and Pentecostal does. I'll pray for you and we go about our way. And the Holy Ghost checked me. And said, I have sent someone to you that is hurting. And yet you tell them you will pray at another time. And as I turned, I I turned to walk away and the spirit spoke to me. I turned back and I said, Gail, she's wiping her tears thinking it was over. I said, come here, I'm going to pray for you and God's going to give you peace right now. And we stood in that dollar general and wouldn't you know it, not a soul had walked in in 15 minutes. But soon as I closed my eyes and I laid my hand on her head, the doorbell rang and about 15 or 20 people were walking by. And I did the old Pentecostal peak. I was praying with all fervency because I believe that God wanted to touch her right there and then. And you got to know Ferdinand area, it's very strong, um, Catholic town, very small Catholic town. They got a monastery and a very beautiful monastery. And most of the the folks there are of that faith. And they're walking by and here I am. And I am by no means a quiet person. And I'm praying, God, would you touch Gail? I had a little bit of wisdom. I was trying not to get too excited, Brother Reitzel. And here they are. They're walking by me and they're looking like this right here. And they're looking at her. I'm crying. She's crying. And we get done. And I look up. And there's those are standing around. And there's tears in their eyes. 
And I, I, I just said, God bless you all. And I walked away. And they began to ask her questions about, about what was going on and so forth. I'm telling you, if you can just stop and take time to reach one, if you can pray for one, if you can invest in one, there's others that are going to be looking at you and want to know what you have. Because whether you believe it or not, we're not like the world. We are different because we are apostolic. It's going to take a commitment, just like the shepherd, shepherd's commitment. It's going to be a successful commitment. This shepherd did not stop until his mission had been completed and that sheep had been found. Jesus did not stop on his quest until he was able to cry, it is finished. He could have easily on the cross said, angels come rescue me from this pain and this torment. But he did not. He waited to the famous last three words, it is finished. He had labored, had not wasted. He did not waste every breath, but he returned with fervency and with power three days later can I tell you that if you will put some mental tenacity in your spirit if you will say I will not take no for an answer but I will pray and I will love and I will seek after the lost one they will eventually come back and God's going to give you power he's going to give you dominion and you're going to walk on your job and there's going to have dominion and apostolic authority because you have the value of just one so, the shepherd returned to the fold, the very thing he went after. The thing that in, in reading this out and the parable talks about the shepherd took the lost sheep. You know, we have a little puppy. We have a little puppy. He's almost six months old. Love him to death. I didn't think we'd ever get a dog you know you do that parent thing you promise when we live two hours away my kids beg for a dog and we said when we move to Terre Haute we'll get a dog hmm. a month later we're in Terre Haute dad where's the dog well we got to find the right dog so we search and search and finally we have a little miniature schnauzer and um, there's times oh Jesus take the wheel he's on that little <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny because my wife, uh, my wife is not a very big uh, animal person, dog person, and she really has grown to attach herself to this little dog. And she hooked him on the leash. He, he's a wild man. If you let him off the leash, he is a hundred miles an hour down the street. And I wasn't home, and my wife was there, and and she calls me, and she's like, Tim. You know, I can't do anything. I, I'm, I'm gone. But she calls to tell me, Tim, Gunter has ran away. I'm standing in the middle of the street, and I see, I see him in the neighbor's yard across the street in the subdivision. And every time I move, he bounces. So she makes a move towards him because he's gone. He's He's out there. He, he's lost. So the shepherd mom is going to find him. And he's dodging every which way he can. And he loves one word. And it's called treat. So he ran a little distance. And finally my wife is so frustrated. She says, Gunter, do you want a treat? He perked up. And he took off as fast as his little bitty legs would run. And he can run about 15 miles an hour. 
And we have a glass door on the front of our house. And he runs right by my wife. He's booking it. He leaps off of our sidewalk and wham, hits the glass door. My wife starts laughing and he shakes his head a little bit and he stumbles around. He goes in. My wife gives him a treat. Obviously, he gets, you know, disciplined for running away and gets put in the cage. And my wife says he wakes up. <laughs> he wakes up and as he wakes up, he stands up and he goes to get out of the cage. And all of a sudden, he just falls over. Then my wife calls me in a panic. Oh, no, Gunter's got a concussion. What are we going to do? I said, babe, it's a dog. Call the vet now. (laughs) But I thought, you know, my wife had always said, and I don't mean to bring her into tonight's study, but she always says, I'll never have a dog, and I'm just not a dog person. But yet, when the thing that she's come to love and come to adore was ran away and was lost, she did what she needed to do. She put on her shoes, and she put on her coat, and she made her way out into the cold, into the street, did not think about what if a car comes or any of that. She knew that what she loved was not where it needed to be. God, give me the passion as you have that realize that where they, when they're not here, I've got to go regardless of the weather, regardless of my financial status, regardless of how I feel. God, help me to go and to search for the one and bring them back home safe. The thing that intrigued me about this is the sheep was lost. The sheep was gone. And the shepherd, kid, I said all that to say this. You know, you, sometimes you're walking your dog and you gotta give them a little jerk when they start to pull on the leash. Just teach them to walk beside you. Imagine that shepherd. That's probably what I would have done. You crazy old sheep. I can't believe you walked away and left the fold. I give you, I take you to green grass and give you water and I make sure wolves aren't, aren't getting you and you, you do this to me. He could have been angry, but the Bible says he found the sheep and he put the sheep on his shoulders. He carried the sheep no matter how far it was from where the rest of the 99 was. He carried it all the way back. Why did he carry it? Because he thought about the the condition that the sheep was in the whole time. It was away from the flock. He thought to himself, maybe it was scared and it was lonely. It was it was bruised and battered due to the environment it was around. So I'm going to do, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to carry it all the way back to the house of God. It reminds me of the story of the Bible with the, the, the lame man that was there for 33 and a half years. Someone picked him up and carried him and sat him at the gate every day of his life. Every day they picked him up and they carried him to that gate. They came and they picked him up and they took him home. They picked him up the next morning and put him down. Finally, they came a day where the right person came by and God healed him and he left and he wept. But I've got a word for somebody tonight. You're dealing with an individual and it's hard to begin. The value is starting to go down because they're not coming the way you in the direction you want them to do. I've come to tell you, as Brother Huntley said one time keep carrying the cripple until the miracle comes doesn't matter how long they're crippled my job is to pick them up and bring them to the house of God and if nothing happens that service I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to love them all the way home I'll see you next Sunday we've got to carry them all the way back to where we got to get where it's uncomfortable for us
we got to do our part and watch God do His. The second portion of this parable is the lost coin, Luke 15 and 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Now I know many of you have done this. Have you ever noticed a few pennies lying on the bottom of the washing machine? Anybody ever had change in your washing machine? And you get all the clothes out and it's in the very back. And you think to yourself, you know, I should reach in there and get that out. But something clicks and says, you know what? It'll be there after this load. We pour in the soap, we throw in the clothes. We say it's just a couple pennies. So we let them ride around in the washer one more time. (laughs) I mean, I don't do that anymore, Lace. That's why I don't do laundry. (laughs) I'm, I'm kidding, I do laundry. I fold it, put it away. When she lets me. Sometimes as I walk around on my job, I look down and I see pennies laying on the ground. I'm guilty of it. And I think, oh man, there's a penny. I'm not going to pick down, rent, bend down to pick it up. One, it's hard for me to bend down anymore. Age has hit me. And two, I think to myself, oh, it's just a penny. I, you know, it's a penny. They're, 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 they're always there. I see pennies here and there. I sit down on the couch, and of course, our couch cushions—they're—they're they're sewed. The leather is sewed in the in the center there. So, when I'm sitting there and I'm reading, I always take one hand, no matter what side of the couch I'm on. And I don't think—I just do. I just stick it in the couch, and I'm reading, and I'm like, "What is that? A Cheeto?" <laughs> Reach down there. There's straw. There's always bobby pins. But occasionally you stick your hand down there and you'll find some money. I remember as a kid when we didn't have much. Anybody remember the old brown couches with the big floral patterns on them and they had the wood on on, Anybody ever have one of those? Thank you, Jesus. I am not alone. It is the ugliest couch ever. I probably shouldn't have said that in case you still have one. (laughs) You can find them at a lot of yard sales. But I remember, man, when I wanted a, a soda, sodas back then were not as expensive as today. I'd be in there and I'd take them old cushions off and I'd look down on that white thing and I'd be, I'd get quarters and I'd get dimes and nickels and pennies. I was grabbing everything out because when I needed something, it didn't matter what denomination it was because every denomination mattered. But usually most of us don't pick up pennies. It's not worth the effort. In truth, our assessment's very wrong. If we would take the time to pick up each penny when we found in short order, we would have a dollar, then we'd have two dollars and ten and so forth and so on. Benjamin Franklin said, a penny saved is a penny earned. He was absolutely right in saying that. When we reach down and we save a penny from disuse, we have earned ourselves something that has potential to contribute something of value to our lives. 
I went through today. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to eat better. I don't call it a diet because then my mind goes crazy and I'm hungrier than I ever thought. I'm trying to change the way I eat and what I eat. And today I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go and get a, a yogurt parfait from a certain establishment. I know it seems like I always talk about food up here. That's my cry for help. <laughs> but Bojangles is still good. And I pulled up in the, in the, 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 the drive through there. And before I get there, I know I never carry any cash. And I thought to myself, I'm going to get me a large water because I don't want sweet tea, even though the devil's tempting me on every side. I don't want any soda. I'm going to get me a large water. That'll be about 25 cents. And then I need, I just need about a dollar, dollar. So I'm scrounging through there. I got a little change thing in the side of my car and I pop it down and I'm looking for silver. I'm looking for quarters and dimes. That way I can get to where I need it to be monetarily to bring value to sustain me. And I pull out three quarters and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I just need one more. And I'm literally taking my finger as I'm in the drive-thru. The lady's talking at me through the window. And I'm trying to make a decision. Do I want to use my debit card for one dollar if I can't find enough in this change drawer? I said, just a second, I'm looking for some more money. I know I sounded like I really was without. And, and I'm digging through there. And she goes, that's okay. Just take your time. Find the change that you need. I was digging so hard she could hear it through the microphone. <laughs> and I was digging through there and I found all the, what I deemed to be valuable coins that I needed to get my fruit and yogurt parfait. And as I'm digging through there, it hit me. I had everything I needed. It just didn't seem to be what was necessary at the time. Because it was full of pennies. It was full of pennies. I could have grabbed out ten pennies and she would have loved me when I pulled up to that window. It's the value of just one penny. One coin. In this parable, Jesus tells the story of a woman who lost one coin. Instead of shrugging her shoulders and walking away, and she went about, <coughs> excuse me, the process of finding that coin and restoring it to its proper place. This parable, as well as the parable of the lost sheep and the soon that will discuss the prodigal son, was designed to, to help us to see that God sees the value of just one. So there is a purpose attached to this coin that this lady in this parable is speaking of. In that day, the biblical day, it is speculated that married women wore a headband that was made up of coins strung together around ten silver coins. These coins were typically given to the bride by her father when she was married. This headband served several functions in the married, uh, the life of the married woman of that time. This headband of coins was a dowry from her father, from the father of the bride that would give her wealth in the chance of something happening to her husband. 
It did three things, and I know this isn't on your, on your, on your paper there tonight, but one, it was used to identify a sinful woman. If a woman had been caught in adultery or a sinful act, they would take one of her coins off of her headdress. It, it served a twofold purpose. One, it decreased the value of her wealth as also it let others that came in contact with her know that she had committed a sin. It also declared her independence. They were a constant reminder to her husband if he was to separate himself from her that she had the ability to make a fresh start. She might be his wife, but she can make it without him because her father has blessed her with these coins. Though This one coin that she lost was equivalent to one day's wages. Evidently, she and her husband were very poor because she only possessed ten coins while Many wealthy women wore headbands compromised of dozens of coins. Another fact is that it declared her status as a married woman. It told other men that she was unavailable to them. It served the same purpose as our modern day wedding ring. We should let everyone know that we come in contact with that we have been bought with a price. That we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That we are not our own to do what we will and pleasure with our own lives. But we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore we should glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits. We must let the world know. That we're not created to be a part of their world. That there is a God, there is a Savior that has declared His blood, that they are His. That there is nowhere they can go that the blood cannot reach. There is no mountain too high, no valley too low, no situation too great, no sickness too harmful that God cannot reach down and see the value of that one individual. My sister, my eldest sister was diagnosed several years ago with stage 3 ovarian cancer. She has Crohn's disease and she has it at its worst. One night she got violently sick and as she was laying in bed and became very, very ill, she thought it best that she needed to go to the hospital. And as she went to the hospital, they found a a massive cyst, a cancerous cyst on her ovary. It was her, her Crohn's disease that would inevitably save her life. And when I told, she called me on the phone and crying and, and I was unaware of what was going on at the time. And she said to me, she said, Tim, I know you believe in God. I know that God answers your prayers. See, my sister was not a believer. She attended church, but she thought that everything due to our Growing up and the way we were raised or were not raised, she thought you had to do everything on your own. That if you didn't put forth effort and hard work and dedication, you just weren't going to have it. She calls me and she says, Tim, I want you to pray that God would heal me. And I said, no. And she said, what? I said, no. She said, what do you mean, no? Don't you, you, you want me to live, don't you? I said, I do. But I want to pray first that God would save your soul. 
I pray first that God would open up your eyes to the word and his love for you before he healed you. She broke down even more because she just thought I would just pray for her, her cancer and, and go away. But she knew that I loved her enough to tell her that I'd rather see her, her, her pass away saved than to die lost and be whole. Today, she's living for God. It may not be whole truth, but she's well on her way to truth. She's going to church every Sunday. I, I, I say that to say this, that if we will get a bonus about us and we will understand that everybody has value, it may not be the most value in our eyes. They may not be able to offer us anything, but they have value. And if we will seek them out and we will speak the truth in love, God will allow them and expose them to see truth and the love of God for what it is. These coins, in other words, were coins to bring glory to the bride. As long as that coin was missing, her beauty was marred and incomplete. With this in mind, it's easy to see why the loss of a coin was enough to cause this woman to immediately fly into action to find it. This coin did not know it was lost, yet this woman... Purposely sold it out. Imagine in that culture, culture suspectedly, if you were missing a coin, it meant that you were an adulterer or a sinner. This woman did not want to be classified as that. She was doing okay with her husband. It was all of her wealth. It was what she had received from her father. She didn't want to let it just go to waste and roll away and say, well, I got nine more. There was something inside of this parable that Jesus wanted to show us that said there must be an intensity about right now. We cannot wait for tomorrow to look for the lost coins. We cannot wait till next Sunday to look for the lost coins. We've got to do it today for today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that the coin is still lost. She immediately went into action because she knew that I cannot let this coin go. This coin not only came from my father, that he, he gave it to me as a dowry, but this coin is something of value to me. It brings glory to my life. Can I tell you that every soul that has entered in this building at some point in time has value to this church. They have value to the father because he didn't just die for you and for me. He died for everybody in this city from the lowest to the highest, from the shortest to the, come on somebody. He died for every one of us. It's his glory. The coin is his glory. And if we can find that, the body comes together. The bride comes to shine in all their glory. We must have an urgency in our spirit to go out and to find the lost coin. We got to have that urgency. You would say it's just one piece of silver, but it was worth everything to her. It was her connection to her father's value of her life, 
Of course, the object of this parable is to teach the value that one, the value of one sinner to the Lord. You see, like lost silver, people were not created to live their lives in sin and disobedience to God. For God made man for one purpose, for his own glory. Isaiah 43 and 7 says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. When God made man, He made him in his image in Genesis 1 and 26. He made man for fellowship so that he could walk with man in the cool of the Garden of Eden. But when man sinned, he became lost. His sin separated him from the presence of God. I don't know about you, and it does not matter to me what caused the person to fall and to be lost in the darkness of this world. But it is my obligation not to worry about what caused the fall, but to help pick them back up and restore them back to the church. A life lived for the Lord is a a beautiful and a powerful thing, but a lost life is of no value at all. However, when that life is found and restored to its proper place by the power of God, that life can be all that God designed it to be. There are people that are not here tonight The proverbial coins that are just sitting at home. Maybe they're working. They're waiting for someone to come and to find them and to to look for them. Say, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. For this woman, her life could not be complete until she had found the coin that she had lost. It filled an important place in her life. See, I don't have to find a friend to make me feel important. I want to find a friend to fulfill the call of God. I want to find somebody that's hidden in the darkness and don't know that they're lost. They don't know that they're not where they're supposed to be. Where God intended them to be. I want to find somebody and tell them you're so valuable that I'll spend late nights talking with you. You're so valuable that I'll take you out to eat even though I may not be able to financially do it. I'm going to do it and never tell you about it. You're so valuable that I'll pray with you. I'll be there with you through everything. We've got to find a coin. We've got to find somebody. It's our obligation and our responsibility to search for the Lord coins the second part is there's a plan attached to this coin when the woman realizes that a coin has been lost she immediately goes into action to see that it is restored to her it's a valuable thing she lights a light and begins to move things about and sweep and search the house until the coin is found she had a will to find it she worked to find it And in the end, she won because she found it. You ever lost your car keys? (laughs) I did that this morning. I went to work at 5.15. I had my son. I was at the computer doing some work and at the kitchen table. And, you know, uh, my wife tells me not to say it all the time. But that's why you have kids to go do stuff that you used to do yourself. (laughs) I'm just, that's a joke. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. I said, hey, Ethan, anytime though, he's at that age, it's hard to believe. 
I know I don't look it, but my son will be 15 in a month and he'll be driving. You may, I'll let you know when so you can turn your license in. You may want to steer clear. But anytime I say, mention a car, I bring him to the church and we drive around the church and, and, oh, he scares me in the parking lot. I make sure there's absolutely no cars here. I need one of them brake pedals on my side like they have in driver's ed. We drive around the parking lot and I, I tell him, okay, now we're going to turn. Oh man, you know how many times, where's the back of the church? I'm lost right here. You know how many times we've rounded this corner? I thought we were going to go on a heritage trail back here. I'm like, all right, but slow down, slow down just a little bit. Slow down. Just, there you go. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I grab the steering wheel and turn it. Uh, we made it. I'm still alive. Jesus is still on the throne. But anytime I mention a car, anything like that, he gets so excited. He wants to do it. Hey, bud, can you go out and start the car? He loves it. He just sits in the, in the driver's seat. That makes me even more nervous. I had him go out and grab my, back, my book bag out of the car and he came back in and I have a place. I'm a creature of habit. I'm very OCD when it comes to certain things. And I'm a creature of habit. So I put my keys in my wallet on the second step. And I put my shoes on the tile right by the stairway. That way when I come downstairs, I know where everything is. So I tell him, I said, hey, Ethan, can you just put my keys on the second step right by my wallet? That way, and okay, Dad, I got it. He didn't have it. I didn't think anything else about it until 5.15 this morning. I'm trying to be quiet because our little dog, if he hears anything, he starts barking. And we keep him in the kitchen in his crate downstairs and... I'm creeping through the house and on hardwood, if you creep, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to go into stealth mode, ninja mode, you know. And I'm creeping through the house and they're not on the stair. Well, maybe put them on the coffee table. So I'm creeping in there and I've got my, my iPhone light out and I'm blind shining it where it won't shine into the kitchen. I'm patting around. I don't see it there. It's not in the box on the coffee table. And all of a sudden I go into panic mode because I don't know where my keys are. Then I don't care about the dog. <laughs> I, I start, if I have to, I'll wake everybody else. I thought I will, I will have to go wake him up to find my keys. I start taking the pillows on the couch and I'm tossing the pillows. I'm tossing coats. I don't know what I'm throwing, but I'm throwing stuff everywhere. I'm going in the living room and I'm throwing pillows and I'm looking, I'm patting on the piano and I'm patting, and then I hear something jingle. It was the dog leash. I thought, no, Jesus, I need this. Where's the keys? I go into panic mode because I cannot find what I need to do my job with and all of a sudden I hit one more time and there they are on the piano but when I had the idea that they were lost and I could not find them nothing else mattered I immediately went into find mode search mode I've been praying this week God help me help me to have such a passion and a burden to find somebody I just need to find one God 
They're lost and they don't know it. And I've got to begin to tear my life. Pastor's message Sunday morning about getting your house in order. He was talking financially and, and spiritually and all of that. And I believe it and I try to live it. But I've got to do more to make sure that when I find something that is lost, I can have the ability to bring them and show them the way, the truth, and the life. God help me to get into a spiritual search mode that everybody I pass is a potential candidate to come to the church. Somebody say amen. (coughs) There's a plan attached to it. We have to have the will to find it. We have to work to find it. And we will win when we find it. The coin was lost in the darkness. Houses of that day, they had no windows. It was lost in dirt. Houses of that day had dirt floors. It was lost in disuse. A coin that could not be used. It was lost in the dwelling. It was lost inside the house. What a picture that coin is of men who do not know the Lord. The coin doesn't know that it's lost. Therefore, it feels no need to be found. A couple years ago when we first started coming to New Life, I remember going out to knock doors with Pastor Andrew and some of the young people. We were canvassing uh, the area. (laughs) And I was new to Terre Haute, and I'd heard about avenues and all that scary stuff. You know, of course, I was in Raleigh, which was a metro, and they had, you know, the projects and so forth and so on. But there's like, oh, Pastor Andrew was telling me. And now that I know him, he was literally pulling my leg. He was dragging me behind the car with my leg. And he said, oh, man, this avenue, where we are right now, just be real careful. He said, there's, you know, there's been shootings. And so... <laughs> I'm getting out of the car, and we're parked there by the post office, and I'm getting out of the car, Brother Shock, and I'm looking around with ease and trying to be cool. We're going to go knock some doors. And he goes, just be careful, man. There's been some drive-bys. And all of a sudden, somebody from the post office throws a pallet, what I know now is a pallet, off the dock, and it hits the pavement and goes, pow! Man, I hit the ground. The young people are laughing. Pastor Andrew's laughing. And I said, man, come on. He got me. I was ready to knock some, some doors in. My legs were jittering like this. My hands were, I was already in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we walked, we knocked many doors and some answered and some did not. And I remember knocking on this one lady, Pastor Andrew and I. We knocked on her door and she was getting ready to leave. And we just told her, we're here. We want to see if there's anything you want us to pray for. We told her we're from New Life Fellowship. We just went, we're out canvassing the city. Let them know we, we're here for you. We're praying for you. And as soon as we told her what we're here for, she broke down crying. She said, I was just kneeling in my couch asking God to send somebody to knock on my door. Because I'm going through a terrible time right now. She began to list all these things she was going through. Pastor Andrew and I prayed for her right then and there. And we felt the Holy Ghost come on that porch. And she began to cry and and weep. And the peace of God came in. But that is what the world is looking for. For somebody that's willing to take time. And to just knock on a door and say, Hey, we want you to know that God loves you. And there's a church here that loves you. And wants to pray for you. We've got to go search them out. Men are lost in darkness. They may be brilliant intellectually speaking, but spiritually they may be blind. They're lost in the blackness, the darkness of spiritual ignorance. They don't know that they're, they know their condition. They don't know what they need until they're sought after 
by the Lord. They can't find their way. They have no guidance, no one to tell them. Number two, men are lost in the dirt. In that day when a coin is, was stamped, it was stamped with the image of the ruler of that time. And when that coin was lost in the dirt, the image of the ruler on that coin would be hidden and marred. So it is with lost men. We're made in the very image of God, but that image has been marred and we need to be cleansed so our image of the Lord can be restored. Number three, men are lost everywhere, even in the dwelling. I have found lost coins in the car, in the yard, in the couch, in the street. The same is true with lost men. They're found everywhere, even in the house of the Lord. If our church is going to experience revival, like God has prophesied and spoke, and it has been prophesied and spoke to us many times through many men, we're ready for revival. We're ready for an outpouring. The body of Christ must come together as one. There can't be a group here and a group there. There must be love and kindness and generosity and prayers for each and every one because we cannot afford to have lost men in the dwelling of the house of the Lord. When this coin would go missing, this woman who sought about business of finding it, she made up her mind to do whatever it took to find this lost coin and that's what she does. The Bible tells us she lights a light, she moves the furniture, she sweeps the floor, she looks everywhere for her lost coin, and she does not stop until she finds it. They're not going to just magically appear. Revival does not just happen. We have to make it happen. We have to go into the highways, into the byways, and we have to compel them to come. I've seen it in action, and this just because I've, I've had to use his services, Brother Mike Reitzel. I've been in his office many times talking with him, and someone would come in, and I've seen him immediately spring into action. We're talking about church and about God and things of that nature, but immediately his attention is turned to that lost coin, that lost sheep. He realizes... I've got to put the attention on them now because they're only here for a moment of time. If we can just give them a little bit at a time, I believe that they will eventually come to the house of God. When it comes to people, we live in a society that places little value on the individual. Think of the fact that we as a society are reduced to mere numbers. We have a social security number. When you get a, a shirt and you look at the back of it, it says it was inspected by number 12. Numbers are how we are calculated and valued in this day. But from God's perspective, every person has value. Every person is not just another number, another hair on a head, another, another memory in God's memory bank. It is a soul that God died for. He loves those who are lost and He labors to find them and save them. And we must be willing to do the same. The third thing about this coin is that there is a praise attached to it. When this woman found that coin, 
She called her friends and her neighbors together and said, let's have a party. I found the coin that was lost. They began to rejoice. And what a happy day it was for that woman. No longer had the stigma that she was going to be called an adulterer or a sinful woman or that her husband had left her, that she had lost her value. But now that which had, had been lost from her had been found and she was rejoicing in that. I want you to know that when you bring your friend, I'm going to rejoice with you. When I bring a friend, I hope you rejoice with me. Because I want the world to know that we celebrate when the coin is found. We rejoice when the sinner is come to the altar and gives their life to God. The Bible says the angels rejoice over one sinner. How much more should we, as the body of Christ, who have experienced sin and grace and mercy, rejoice over the one that comes? and gives their life to God the angels don't know what it's like to have the Holy Ghost and to speak in tongues but you and I do that ought to be enough for us to go tell the whole world that there is a God that's been looking for you verse 10 makes that transition to heaven as I just stated that there's a rejoicing in the presence of the angels over just one sinner that repents. God values one. Heaven gets excited when the lost is found. Why? Because something of value has been restored to its proper place because God is glorified. A soul misses the, the depths of hell. That which is unusable, unusable becomes available for the master's use. That which is dirty is now clean and made whole again by the grace of God. It is a great day when someone repents of their sin. It is a great day when someone steps into that watery grave and they go down in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a great day. Huh. I have pictures in my Bible. When I got baptized, I, I know it's hard to believe I was a scrawny guy. I had ribs at one time. <laughs> I remember getting in that baptismal tank and it wasn't a jacuzzi, almost hot tub like we have. It was just a big round tank with freezing cold water. The pastor wore hip waiters up to here. Anybody ever get baptized like that? And I remember stepping in that water and I already got God, I say God gave me the Holy Ghost on credit because I got it before I ever got baptized. I didn't know anything about Jesus name baptism. I didn't know anything about one God. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I knew absolutely nothing. Didn't even know who Adam and Eve were. Didn't even know what prayer was. But I knew what the presence of God was and I knew what the love of God felt like. You want to know why I'm in the church today? It's not because some professional speaker, some great or to preach the word. It wasn't because we had a great band in the church. I got the Holy Ghost in. It wasn't because they had a great bus ministry. It was because I come into a house of God where people love one another. They love God. And I felt that love. And it brought a reckoning to an awakening to my spirit that said I was lost. And I walked to that altar. Ha! And I repented. And I got in that watery grave. Brother Zach and I was shaking and he was, his name was Brother Bird. He was my pastor when I first got in church. And he said, Timothy Barber, you know how we do, we say the thing. And he put me down and when he brought me back up. And I, I will not apologize for telling my testimony again because it's what drives me to find somebody that I, like I was.
15 years old, how much guilt and shame and hatred and bitterness could you have? I didn't know that I had it until I came up out of the water. And I was free. All the weight was off of me. The hate and the bitterness was off of me. And it was because of my step-grandmother who didn't push me to the gospel, but she loved me to the gospel. She loved me to the church. It wasn't the powerful preaching, but it was the love of the preacher that got me to the church. And it's been a love of the church and a love of the truth that's kept me. Thank God I was lost. And somebody sought me and loved me enough to love me to grace and mercy. If that's you, you ought to lift your hands right now and just thank God for a moment. Help me find one, God. Oh, Jesus. We must find the lost. I must find the lost. I must be a friend and make a friend. I've got to be a disciple and make a disciple. Not because that I see value in them, because they're valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And God says they're worth seeking after. The rejoicing begins when we begin to seek and recover. The last and final value is on the lost son. And I'm hurrying. Luke 15 and 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. He began to be in want. And when he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have fain, he would have, he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And he came to himself, and he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am, am no more worthy to be called thy son. And make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but he was yet a great way off, and his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him and the son said unto the father father I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son but the father said to his servants bring forth the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet the prodigal son is the name we have attached to this story the word prodigal does not appear in the bible but it means wasteful the story of shame he brought on his family and his father, his disrespect and greed, his squandered privileges and the horrible debts to which this Jewish boy sunk would absolutely be shocking to the Pharisees. Paul told the church at Rome, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The death didn't come when the prodigal got to the pig pen. Death came the moment he left the father's house. In that culture, they had actually had a funeral for a son like this who brought shame on the family. To everyone looking on, the younger son was dead and gone. Period. End of story. Hands were washed. He was no more part of them. 
In this famous story, Jesus actually creates the quote-unquote ultimate sinner. Someone who actually spurns the love of God. Walks away in the rebellion. In, in rebellion. Does incredibly crazy things. Waste all the blessings that God has given them. Ends up on the street with nothing left. A victim of their own sin and stubbornness. So the question is this. How does God treat the worst of the worst in sinners? Luke 15. When it says he came to himself. He said, how many hired servants have my fathers have enough bread to spare and I perish with hunger? He said, I'll rise and I'll go to my father's house and I will tell him I've sinned before you in heaven. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. When he says this, he tells the servants to bring the best robe and put it on them. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And he said, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found and they began to be merry. Everything is wrong about this story. The prodigal should have crawled home in shame and humiliation. That's what he deserved. He should have been held in contempt by his father and his family at the very least. He should have been made to take a bath before even talking to anyone. He had gone against custom and culture. He'd been with the pigs and wallowing in their filth and almost eating with them. He should have worked years to pay back everything that he had squandered. This is what the Pharisees were wanting to be told by Jesus. Because this is what the law demanded. In fact, the law demanded the ultimate price for rebellion. That the prodigal son should have been, had not been able to even get as far as the gate of his father's property. He was not even allowed to get beyond the border of the father's property. Rebellious sons were supposed to be stoned to death by the entire city. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 says, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then his father and mother shall lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city, unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This is our son is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. All the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So thou shalt put evil away from among you and Israel shall hear and fear. This prodigal son had no regard for his future only for the moment. The Bible tells us that the pleasure of sin is only for a season. He should be dead by by the law. He should be dead and gone because he was hungry to the point of being famished. But something awakened in him and caused him to go back to his father's house. He knew that he could have possibly suffered a stoning. But it was better to make his way back to the father than to die there with the pigs. The times that they are at their lowest is the time for the church to be at its greatest. One night I get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. My sister, it's the Johnston County Memorial Hospital in Smithfield, North Carolina. They said, Mr. Barber, this is 
So-and-so we're calling as an emergency contact on behalf of your sister. She is in ICU right now, and you need to come immediately. Well, I had no idea, but my sister had been in the... She went to prison a couple times, and I taught her a Bible study as I would visit her in prison. When she got out, I took her to church every service. I prayed her through to the Holy Ghost, baptized her in Jesus' name, and I would tell her, Angie, you cannot continue to hang around the same people you're hanging around because it's your nature to go back to that. That's your old man. It's, it craves sin. And she stayed away for a while, but eventually she unfortunately found her way right back with the same crowd that she had. I went into the hospital and found out that she had been beat by her drug dealer, her pimp. Beat her to a pulp where she had lost four pints of blood. She lay there in ICU, could barely move. And I told her, I looked her in the face and I, I, I had all rights to tell her, I told you so. I told you you can't do that. Told you not to go back there. This is what happens. But I knelt down beside her hospital bed. And I held her hand and I wept over her. And I prayed over her. And I said, Angie, God still loves you. The difference between the coin didn't know it was lost. The sheep knew it was lost, but couldn't make its way back. The prodigal son realized it was lost and made its way back. She made her way back all because I showed the love of God to her. When he made that decision to go back home, the Bible says his father was waiting and looking for him. See, the son's speech was all prepared. Luke 15, 18, 19 says, I will arise and I will go to my father. And this is what I'm going to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. But once he has been shown such love and forgiveness of his father, he leaves out one part because he realizes that he doesn't have to work off his debt to be accepted. The father has covered all of his debt on his behalf. Verse, 50, uh, verse 21 says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father's response to that, Bring me the best robe. Bring me a ring to put on his finger. The father never, never acknowledged his sin. He never acknowledged his wrongdoing. He never pointed shame and guilt on him. What he did was he went after him once he saw the need. He ran to him. He embraced him. And he told the, the servants to put a robe on him. Can I tell you that the greatest compliment to our lost and dying world is that we would run to them. We would embrace them. And when they get here, we cover them with love and mercy and grace because God has already taken care of the debt. The anticipation and celebration of the return of the prodigals is based on the value we put on them. They are worth waiting for when they return and hear me when I say they're coming back. I believe that 2019 is going to be the year of prodigals. 
I'm telling you, you can say, yeah, we've prayed that. We've heard that before. But I pray it every time I'm in the prayer room. I lay hands on those jars and I begin to plead the blood by the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus. I don't know everybody in there possibly have never even met some of them. But I'm believing God because they have value. There are soul when there's disciples in there. There are bus ministry in there. There are Sunday school teachers in there. There's worship leaders in there there's preachers in there there's missionaries in there they are valuable to the kingdom and this is the year I believe that God's going to bring them back there's going to be an awakening in this area I feel the Holy Ghost right now I declare it to be so there is going to be a spiritual awakening to every prodigal they're going to wake up out of their sleep and come to the realization I've got to go back to my father's house and when they get here we're going to love them we're going to embrace them we're going to put on mercy and grace and the love of God Because we understand the value of one. Hmm. Some, you know, there's sometimes no reason or explanation why people walk away from God. We can't understand why they would do that. But it doesn't matter how long it takes. Doesn't matter what kind of condition they're in. When they make the decision to come to themselves, I want them to know that there is a place in the kingdom of God for them. I'm closing. I believe that one individual who is determined to make a difference in the world can, with desire, with drive, dedication, discipline, Passion and persistence can change the world. I believe I'm looking at a group of believers that have the ability to go to whatever means necessary to find that lost sheep. I'm looking at a group of people that are willing to get their house in order to find the lost coin that's valuable to the kingdom. I'm looking at a group of people tonight that understand the value of a prodigal son and daughter. And we're willing to make a difference in one life. Would you stand with me? The world can be altered and lives can be impacted. When we become intentional about searching, seeking, and embracing just one person at a time. I pray that it is in the heart of everyone here tonight. And I hope I've done justice to this the way God has given it to me. In the car today, I was weeping uncontrollably. Had to pull over. Because if nothing else, I want to reach one. It's my heart's desire to just reach one at a time. I believe that should be the anthem of our spirit. The pulse of the body. To go find somebody. And to be their friend. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you.
Help me today, God, to put forth every effort I can to not be concerned with the time, the finances, maybe even the inability to do so, God, to find a friend. But Lord, I want to find somebody, Lord. I want to find that valuable coin. I want to find that lost sheep that can't find its way back home. I want to be kind to that prodigal son and that prodigal daughter and let them know that there's love in this house. Help me, Jesus, to do whatever I need to do, to be what I need to be, Lord God, to win one, to make a difference in one, Lord, because you value one soul. And I thank you for it. I give you all the glory and the honor and praise for this body of believers, Lord, that are doing the very thing that I taught about tonight. I pray the blessings of God, the favor of God be upon them as they go about their way tonight, tomorrow, God, that you put someone in their path, Lord God, that needs you, that's hungry for you. Maybe they don't know it yet, but Lord, help us to have the boldness to speak in faith, in love, in Jesus' name. And we say thank you, Lord. Let the church say amen.